You may be seated. Good morning, Grace Point. It is so good to see you. Can we all uh, welcome, just with a raucous round of applause, our online community who are with us this morning? Yeah. 15 months. My goodness, 15 months. I remember the first time I sat down to record a sermon on video, I thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. Like, I don't, I, I don't like to I talk to people, like energy from people. This camera just sits there. It does nothing. It doesn't laugh at my jokes, but you probably won't either. But still, there's potential here, right? Like, maybe you'll laugh at my jokes. And as we were preparing to, re, to launch these in-person gatherings, I thought, um, I wonder if I can still talk to people because I've just talked to a camera. So it's still early. We'll see what happens. But I'm glad you're here for it. It could go either way. Um, uh, it's also... It's also the first Sunday of Pride, which feels like a great day for us to all be back together, doesn't it? Yeah, my goodness. So, so glad you're here. I wanted to add a couple things, a couple thank yous. I want to thank Ron and the team here at Third and Lindsley. I want to thank Clint, who's our sound tech, who's an incredible, incredible person to work with. And it's, you can clap for them, that's okay, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, I know Jason mentioned this, but I feel like I should, I should say it again. Um, when we were making these preparations to suspend in-person gatherings, like we were on a staff call, and I was literally going, "I don't know, I don't know how to, I don't know." Like I was saying it like that, like I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't know how to do this. Like I don't do video, I don't, I'm not great at tech, and nobody that I knew of had a lot of video expertise. And then there was this new staff member who had only been, I think, announced a couple weeks before, and he just sort of pipes up and goes, "Oh, I know how to do that." And the reason this last year was what it was is because of Adam Budnick, because he worked tirelessly to make that happen. Um, yeah. So everybody worked really hard. You just wouldn't have seen any of it if it hadn't been for Adam. So beyond grateful for him. Uh, just to give you a, a little bit about what's coming up next week, uh, we're going to begin a new series next week. Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, which is this uh, well-known teaching he gives um, he begins it with something called the Beatitudes. And I know if you've not been around church and you don't know that, it sounds like the thing my kids get when they're tired, right? Uh, they get their Beatitude. But actually, it's just this way of talking about blessed. Jesus begins by announcing, pronouncing blessing. And he begins by saying, here are the people who are blessed in the kingdom of God. And so we're going to walk through over the next several weeks these Beatitudes and ask, what does it mean to be blessed? Because we talk about blessed all the time. Like, we get a good, get a good parking spot, hashtag blessed, right? Like, <laughs> blessed, we're all about that blessing. Um, but what does it actually mean, and is it possible, is it possible we've missed it? Is, is it possible we've misunderstood what blessing is actually all about and what it does? So we're going to start that next week. But today, I want to talk about sort of this movement, um, this progression, something that I'm kind of referring to as stages of transform, transformational awareness, like there, there's this stuff that we're invited to in life. And actually, there are three stages I want to talk about. Two of them are mandatory. You don't get to choose them. They choose you. The third one is something we get to choose. And so I want to explore that today. I want to give a little bit of credit where credit is due. When I was in seminary, I took a class on the Psalms, and I read a book uh, called The Message of the Psalms by Walter Brueggemann. Anybody in here know Walter Brueggemann at all? Like three of you? Um, okay, well, he's brilliant, um, and uh, so I've got to give credit to the Brug. That's what I call him. We don't know each other. That's just what I call him when I'm reading him. Uh, I want to give credit to the Brug because uh, this, he sort of says that in the Psalms, there are three themes that keep coming up, and what I realized is as I'm reading this book and I'm going through this class, he was right. There are these three themes, but actually, I think they are true about not just the Psalms, 
they are true about life. They are true, true about the journey we are all on. And so he says the three themes are orientation, disorientation, and new orientation. Orientation, disorientation, and new orientation. Uh, here's what he says. But human life is not simply an articulation of a place in which we find ourselves. It's not just saying where we are. It is also a movement from one circumstance to another, changing and being changed, finding ourselves surprised by a new circumstance we didn't expect, resistant to a new place, clinging desperately to the old circumstance. How many of you have ever experienced a change that you didn't enjoy? How many of you love change? Okay, we know where the Enneagram 7s are in the room. I, too, am like you. But how many of you, even if you love change, there are sometimes these changes that occur that just drive you a little up the wall? Let me tell you one of mine. So there's this restaurant near our house, and y'all, they made the best potato chips. And I know that sounds like potato chips, big deal. I'm telling you, these, these potato chips were next-level potato chips. They make them in-house. They sprinkled something on them when they got done. They were just chef's kiss, beautiful. They shut down for the pandemic, and when they began to reopen, we went back, and I'm ordering my buffalo wings, and they what side do you want? I'll have the chips. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. We no longer have the chips. Why do, why do you no longer have the chips? Because of COVID. How did COVID do away with potato chips? Like, it's taken so much from us, you guys. Why in the world are we giving it chips too? Like, I feel like we need to draw a line here. You can't have the chips. And I'm, I'm usually, but I felt like inside of me, I was like, I, I need the chips. And now they're gone. It's not like we'll be phasing them back in. in the. You can tell this is important to me. Like, it's not we'll phase them back in. It's they're gone forever. Goodbye, chips. And it seems like everywhere I go to a restaurant, I find a thing I like, and they take it from me. And I just am left at the table, like, I'll get, I'll get you, Captain Planet. That's the only thing that came to my mind. Like, how do you know you grew up in the 90s is you think about Captain Planet. Um, and, and so there are those kind of changes, which I think, I think bug everybody. But then there are these, like, seismic shifts that happen in life. Things that upend and disrupt and disturb everything. And for those of us who love change, there are still these moments which are unsettling and confusing and disorienting. And so I want to I just talk about these three essential, these three themes, these three movements from orientation, disorientation, and new orientation. We begin with orientation. Orientation is what happens when everything just works the way it's supposed to. Right? If, if orientation had its own theme song, anybody seen the Lego movie? If orientation, yes, you have, Cohen Scott. Um, <laughs> if, if this has a theme, right, if this level has a theme song, it's everything is awesome, right? Because it is. Everything is awesome. It's great. Things just work how they're supposed to work. A plus B always equals C. You do good things. You get good things in return. That's just how it works. This is, and, and there's a certain amount of this that we're born into this. There's a naivete to it. We're, we're, like we enter the world and we're told things like, if you don't bother the B, the B won't bother you. And other lies they told us as children. <laughs> Right? I didn't ask it to be over here in the first place. Why is it here? Right? But there's this sense of if you just do the right things, the right good things will happen. Notice this from Psalm 1. The very first psalm begins like this. The truly happy person, which is the way this translation translates blessed, um, which I'll critique next week, so hang on. Um, the truly happy person 
doesn't follow wicked advice, doesn't stand on the road of sinners, and doesn't sit with the disrespectful. Instead of doing those things, these persons love the Lord's instruction. And they recite God's instruction day and night. They are like a tree replanted by streams of water, which bears fruit at just the right time, and whose leaves don't fade. Whatever they do succeeds. That's not true for the wicked. They're like the dust of the wind that blows away. And that's why the wicked will have no standing in the court of justice, neither will sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The Lord is intimately acquainted with the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked is destroyed. Anybody ever known somebody who tried to do all the right things, who was good, who loved the Lord's instruction, as the psalm says, who memorized Bible verses and went to church every time the door was open and was generous with other people with what they had? They just did all the right things. They tried to do, they were, you know, they were an hour early for work. Like, they just tried really hard to do the right thing. And then good things didn't happen to them. It was the opposite. Anybody known somebody like that? Somebody whose story, who they worked really, really hard. They gave it everything they had. They were a good person. And yet they were met with failure and disappointment. I think we all know people. Maybe we've experienced that where we've just tried to do the right thing. We've just tried to be a good, kind, decent human being. And still met with disappointment. And then how many of us have known somebody who's just kind of, what's the technical term? Rotten. They're just rotten, right? They're not good. They, they're, they're not kind. They're not compassionate. They're selfish and stingy, and they push their way to the front of the line no matter who it hurts, and they, they don't really care about the world around them or anybody else around them. It's their planet, and we're all just living on it. You, you've known somebody like that, somebody who actively works to harm other human beings, and it seems like everything just goes right for them. Like everything they touch turns to gold. Everything they do succeeds, and it's just, anybody know somebody like that? And it's just, ugh. Like, I, I thought this worked this way. I thought it was you do good things, you get good things. I, I thought it was if I, if I put good things out there, then the universe rewards me with good things in return. And yet we all know people and have been in situations ourselves, I've seen, where that's just not been the case. This is also the stage, by the way, where uh, our beliefs just work for us. Right, it's the stage, I remember growing up, going to church, going to Sunday school, and they would put these things up called flannel graphs. If you don't know what that is, you can find it on the internet. Um, Google it. And uh, they would work out these Bible stories, and they would tell us what they meant. And we would have these little children's Bibles, and there would be stories about this nice little Noah's Ark where there's a lot of fuzzy animals, and God seems to love everybody when you don't really know there's genocide happening on the outside. Like that, they don't tell you that. But everything just works. There are no inconsistencies. There are no doubts. There are no questions. You just sort of exist in this sacred canopy where it just makes sense that they tell you that this, this is what it means to be a, a Christian. This is what it means to love God. This is who God is. This is who Jesus is. This is how to get a favorable afterlife experience. Here's what's going to happen to you if you don't do the right thing and get the favorable afterlife experience. Like all of that stuff just makes sense to us. We don't doubt. We don't question. We just accept it all whole cloth as it's given. But then something happens. Something stops working. All of your plans don't succeed when you have the best intentions. And it, it creates a disruption, which leads us into another. And this is not, a, a, this is not optional. Uh, disorientation is a mandatory experience in life. Because we don't get to say, you know what? I'm going to pass on the disorientation. Thank you very much. I just want to stay nicely oriented over here. That's just not how it happens. Disruptions show up, and they disorient us, whether we're ready for them or not, whether we ask for them or not. How many of you, I met so many people this morning, um, and the way I know we have lots of new people is I've heard this like 15, 20 times. You're much taller than I thought you would be in person. <laughs> right? I've heard that a few times. Um, but but how, how many of us, I don't even know where I was going with that. <laughs> anyway, um, 
but how, how many of us have, would have said, because they, almost everybody to a person has said, I'm here because I'm going through deconstruction of some sort. But how many people were like signing up for that excitedly? Wow, laying awake all night, every night, not sure about anything? Let me have that. <laughs> Being uh, told by all my friends and family that I'm going to hell? Yeah, right? No, nobody like runs frolicking into disorientation. It is a thing that meets you. It's a thing that finds you. It's what happens when all the set and solid things no longer work, no longer make sense, no longer explain the world. It's what happens when your lived experience no longer matches up to the world of orientation you were given. It's when you actually read the Bible and not just what they told you about it, and you realize, wait a minute. <laughs> they said there were no contradictions in here, but this says this and this says that, right? It's what happens when you, the lived experience of your life can no longer hold, hold, but can no longer serve to dam the waters that want to flood in of disorientation. There's a psalm, Psalm 13, uh, we're going to put up there, where the psalmist begins like this. How long will you forget me, Lord? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I be left to my own wits, agony filling my heart daily? How long will my enemy keep defending? This is a psalm of disorientation. This is not a thing you would ever utter in orientation. Right, because God's on your team because you believe the right things. And yet in disorientation, and this is a thing that, how many of you, when you started your deconstruction process, you would have not been able to say this because if you did, they would have just, people would have just told you, you know, the problem is, the problem's not with God, or the problem's not with your faith, the problem is you don't have enough faith. You didn't believe hard enough. You didn't trust deeply enough, that there's some sort of malfunction in your belief system. And it's not that everything really doesn't make sense. It's that you just are some sort of rebellious human being who doesn't want to accept what God has told you. But when you're in disorientation long enough, these are the sorts of things you start praying. This is actually less of a prayer and more of a shaking the fist at the sky, screaming, where are you? Psalm 22, another that Mark takes and puts on the lips of Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, I put it all on the line. I did what I thought was right. I did what I thought was faithful. I tried to be true. And when I needed you, you were gone. You didn't come through like they promised me you would. It's disorientation. It's also, this is the stage, right, where your faith begins to shift and deconstruct. It's when the questions won't stop. It's when the doubts won't go away. It's when everything in you is screaming because you so desperately maybe want to just go back to orientation and accept what you've always known, but there's something that won't allow that. You have, you have opened the box and you can't close the box. You have seen and you can't unseen. You have tasted and you can't untaste. That's just how it works. When people ask me about my, my journey of, of unraveling, that's, that's the image that works really well for me. It's like this, you have this ball of yarn that you've, it was all nice and neatly raveled. I, is that how you would say? I don't know. It's raveled. And then it just comes all undone. And the idea of picking it all back and trying to just put it back the way it was, it's like next to, it feels next to impossible. It feels overwhelming. So you just have a, like everything is unraveled on the ground. When did that happen for me? And, and there, there are key moments, there are key moments I could go back to. Right? There are moments like when I started college in the fall of 1999, and I went on campus, and I signed up for a course in Hebrew Bible, Old Testament. 
And I'd been warned and warned and warned by everybody in my church and everybody in my family, you don't go to a public university and take religion classes, you'll lose your faith. But I wasn't going to lose my faith. I was going to save everybody else. You see how that worked. And uh, I remember sitting in this class, and you don't know me, I grew up Southern Baptist. I'm sorry, that's just true. I grew up Southern Baptist. And so in my world, there were only certain people who could teach the Bible, only certain people who could preach. And so I'm sitting in, the cla- in this class, and this, this female professor comes in who is also a Presbyterian minister, and I'm just immediately praying for her that I can show her the light. And she begins to teach me. And, I mean, the curiosity, I could not suppress the curiosity. It was overflowing. I just, I had so many, uh, and, and she was teaching me things, and I was seeing it in the text, and I, I look back on that professor, and I'm just unbelievably grateful that that was a key moment on my journey, was being taught the Bible at a public university, and I fell in love with the Bible in that class. I know what they tell you, you're in it. I l- fell in love with the Bible in ways I'd never fallen in love with the Bible before, so, you know, that was a moment, uh, I, I would say that, you know, the moment I held our firstborn, and I looked down at this little guy, and he's screaming his head off, and, I'm, and he's just so beautiful. Like, this was a moment for me where I could no longer be, believe that there was a God somewhere who had to kill something to love me or make me acceptable. I'm, li- I'm like, I, he comes into the world, he can't do anything for himself, completely helpless, and I don't need to kill anything to love him. I just love him. And that was a key moment. But really, for me, my disorientation stage began around the age of 12, right before I turned 12. It was 1993, I think. Within six months of each other, I lost my great-grandmother and my grandpa, who I lived between, and they were my entire world. And they, they, both, they both died within six months of each other. And that set up a whole lot of anxiety and a whole lot of worry. and a whole, it, it just set me on a path as a kid that was really, really exhausting. And at the same time, they were both really good people, uh, really kind, good, decent human beings. And there was something about, like, they were doing, and, they, and my, my pop died kind of young. He was 56. And I was just like, wow, he, he's, he was a preacher. He did good things. He was at church all the time. Like, these are the things you're told to do, and God will bless you, and, and you'll have a good life. And here he is. And so, for me, I go back. My disorientation and disruption began around the age of 11 or 12, and just sort of has worked it out over the last several, a couple decades, several decades, I don't know what it's been, but it's been a while, and it's sort of just happened over time, and it wasn't something, if I had been asked, do you want to sign up for this, I would have said absolutely not, but it came for me, it just happened, and I was in, I've been in the middle of trying to sort this out, and this past 15 months, this past year for us on this planet has been completely disorienting, hasn't it? And you can really say, you know, we, we can talk about pandemics, but we really had more than one pandemic. We obviously have had COVID-19 pandemic. We've had almost 600,000 people in this country alone who have lost their lives. Uh, I keep saying to people that I think COVID has been apocalyptic and because apocalypse means to reveal. It doesn't mean the end of the world. And COVID was revealing. It revealed how we felt about our neighbors. It revealed how we felt about science. It revealed how we, how we felt about those who were um, most at risk right, by our participation or non-participation with social distancing and masks and all that stuff. And so we've been, we lived through that pandemic, but we've also been living through a pandemic that's been raging in this country for more than 400 years, and that is the pandemic of racism and white supremacy. And this is not a new thing. Some of us have just started to wake up, right? We've just started to wake up because it's been right in front of us, and we can't deny it anymore.
I made this joke at 9 o'clock, unless you're Mike Pence, but I'll just throw that out there for you. Um, we can't deny it anymore. It just is true, and it's not new. It is 400-plus years old. We've also been in the middle of a pandemic of white Christian nationalism. I don't know about you, but January 6th, I was sitting on our couch doing some work. I had the news on right here. Our oldest was sitting with us. And I'm just sort of seeing, and I'm looking over, and I see an insurrection happening uh, at the United States Capitol. And I'm seeing images of crosses and gallows hanging side by side and seeing flags that support the former president and then, and then flags that say Jesus. I'm going, what is happening here? And that pandemic isn't over either. We have a problem with nationalism in this country. And it, it, it sh if it makes you nervous, it should make us nervous. We, we have to do everything we can to combat with good information and love. and We have to do everything we can to see that pandemic come to an end. But we've been living through it. And I don't know about you, but it feels like, does anybody feel like you've been running like 3,000 miles an hour and not stopping? Even during the pandemic when you were on, probably, you know, we were on our couch a little bit, let's just be honest. We were on our couch a little bit, eating some snacks, and just still feel completely, totally exhausted because these things are happening all the time. We have been disrupted. We have been in the middle of disorientation. And here's the thing. You can stay there. I said the first two stages are just, they happen, no choice. The third stage, new orientation. This is, this is where we get to make a decision. Will we live our whole lives in disorientation? Will we live our whole lives um, just sort of go, circling the drain on this thing and not really figuring out what, what do we do? Okay, we're disoriented, we're deconstructing, everything's falling apart for us. What now? What next? And I think it's really important to name, this is not reorientation. This is not, hey, let's go back to the beginning where everything we can forget everything. Let's, let's just go back to the... And I had this sort of thing in my head, like, I can't wait to be back to normal after COVID. Anybody else say that? I can't wait to be... But normal, pre-COVID normal would assume that I can forget everything that's happened over the last year plus, which is not a thing. We know people who've been sick, but many of us know people who have lost their lives in the course of this pandemic. We know people who have lost their jobs. We know people, I have friends who, whose churches ceased to exist in the course of the pandemic. There have been real losses all along the way. We can't just go back and go reset. There is no reset. But what we get to do is we get to move into a new orientation. We may not be able to collect and, and, and get the yarn back the way it was, but what we can do is we can knit something beautiful out of the yarn that's all around us. We can figure out what does it mean. We can't go back. Even if you want to go back, there's no going back. I've sat across the table and talked to people who have said that they were going through their deconstruction and unraveling, and then at one point they just decided to stop. They decided to stop because it was scary. They decided to stop because it was costing relationships. They just had to stop. But the thing I really believe is true is even if you try to hit pause, you still got to lay in bed at night, and those questions still come up. You don't go back. You've seen, you've peered behind the curtain. You can't go back. Now, look, disorientation in so many ways is a gift. I mean, there is a temptation, again, Enneagram 7 here, to avoid pain at all costs, right? Keep the pain away from me. But disorientation can serve as a teacher. It can serve as a guide. It can serve as a gift. It, it, it is something we are invited into, and it can be on the other side. I would not trade 
my disorienting moments of life because they have shaped me into who I am. Does that make sense? I wouldn't go back even if I could because it shaped me into a certain kind of human being. And so we can't go back. We can't go back to a pre-COVID world. It just doesn't exist. We can't go back because we have seen the body cam footage and we have heard, I can't breathe. We can't go back. Can't go back to pre-deconstruction. We have to make a choice. Well, I just remain, and maybe today for you, that choice is, I'm just going to hang out in my disorientation and try to disorient other people. And that's totally valid. <laughs> right? You'd be a little minister of disorientation. You just go around disorienting people. That's totally fine. Totally fine. But I bet for some of us, there's sort of a, I'm ready for what's next. I'm ready to see what's beyond disorientation. I want to begin to think about what I can I value, what I can affirm, what gives me life, what gives me, what I'm passionate about. I want to begin to think about that. You know, 15 months ago, our, our staff and our church, we had to make a choice. Um, and I'll, I'll just never forget making a video in my kitchen saying to, to those of you who are part of Grace Point at the time, we're going to be suspending in-person gatherings, but we'll be back by Easter, which was three weeks away. And I, sometimes I go back and watch that video and I'm like, you didn't know anything about what was about to happen. Right? But we made a decision. We made a decision to lean into, at the beginning, our, we were trying to film Sunday mornings, so it still felt like Sunday mornings. And then we were like, let's just lean into this. Let's just lean into, we're gonna, I'm going to film from my kitchen, and we're going we're gonna to do it this way, and we're going to lean into it. And because, and again, there was a resistance in me for years to doing anything related to video. I just didn't, didn't make sense to me. I didn't, I didn't want to do it. But I, I, and I always had this thing, like, online community can't real, be real community. When, when all I had was online community, I found that it was very real and very sustaining. Some of you who are watching right now uh, online, you have become vital parts of this community. And when we talk about Grace Point, when I talk about Grace Point, I'm talking about you. And you have been such a gift to us. And as a community, when we decided to lean in, our family got bigger. When we decided to lean in, we went from being a church based in Nashville to a church that's literally all over the globe. How many church services have you been in where somebody's like, I'm from Jordan? Right, like that's a pretty cool thing. We, we've, we've expanded in so many beautiful ways because we made a choice. We made a choice that we, we're in a disorienting time. So we're going to go toward the only thing that feels like it might be new orientation. And that is there are lots and lots of people who need to hear Grace Point's message. There are still people who are being told that who they love disqualifies them from the love of God. There are still people being told that who they are disqualifies them from meaningful participation in a church community. There's still people being told that if you don't believe, ex if, you, if you don't support the Nicene Creed, you can't be a Christian. Well, watch me. <laughs> right? Because you don't get to tell us who to be. And so as we begin in this new phase, I, I believe that there's a world of people. There are people who are in orientation and what they're hearing makes total sense to them and whatever. But there are people who are longing to be a part of church. And some of you are probably here today going, this is my last shot. I'm on the way out. Some of you watching online have said this to me. This was my, Grace Point was my last shot. I'm heading out. And we get to provide people with a place that can hold their doubts, their questions, their identity, who they love, that is big enough and loving and, and good enough that we can embrace the full human being here. And so today, as we are relaunching, I, I don't, we haven't been gone. We're not back. 
we haven't been any, we've been, we've been right here the whole time because Grace Point isn't a building, it is a community. And our community has thrived during COVID and it will continue to thrive because of you, because of who you are, because we have chosen as a community to embrace a new orientation. We are no longer an in-person community. We are a hybrid community. And the, the world that needs to hear this message is getting to hear it. And it's because of you and because of who you are. And so today is a celebration. There's a lot to grieve. There's a lot to grieve over the past year. There's so much. But I'm convinced that human beings are capable of holding multiple emotions at the same time. <laughs> we can grieve. And we can also celebrate. We can celebrate the good work that's been done. And we can celebrate the good work that's in front of us. Are you with me? All right. Let's pray. God, for this community that embraces us fully and completely, we give so much thanks. Looking back on our history as a community, knowing that there are folks in this room who carried this vision when this vision was not easy to carry. Folks in this room who in so many ways suffered and bled to keep this message of radical love, radical inclusion, and radical embrace alive and well. For them, we give thanks. For those of us right in the middle of disorientation, may we have the courage to just lean in. May, may we come to trust that the, slip, the proverbial slippery slope really is just, it's, it can be a good time on the other side. For those of us who are looking for a new orientation, to begin something new, something grounded, give us the courage to begin to take those steps. And for every one of us in this room, may we know that we were not born depraved, we were not born the enemies of God, but we were born exactly as we are, the beloved of God, affirmed, embraced, and included. We give thanks in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen.